Well, amen. God bless you. Appreciate you being here tonight, this last Sunday night of 2023. You have your Bibles. Open with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, when you find verse number 7. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 7. I would invite you to stand to your feet with me, please, out of respect of God's Word. Now, I'm going to read through verse 13. Then I'm going to have you to read one of those verses as a text verse with me tonight. Philippians chapter 3, begin reading in verse number 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ." And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended in Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 13 is the text verse for tonight. I'd like you to read that verse with me. You ready? Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I've entitled this message tonight, Forgetting and Reaching. Forgetting and Reaching. Let us pray. Father, we thank you tonight for allowing us to be able to come and have this time we can be together in thy house. Now, Father, I thank you for these folk that are here tonight. There are a lot of other places and other things they could be doing, but they have chosen to be here in thy house. And so, Father, I pray that as I try to deliver a message tonight, You'll be with me and help me. I'm well aware of my inability and my unworthiness. And so once again, I want to ask you to forgive me of my sin. Please cleanse me afresh and new with the precious blood of Calvary. And Holy Ghost, I pray you'd fill me with power that I could preach in such a manner that everyone under the sound of my voice would feel like this message is for them and them alone. May the lost be saved. May the saved be challenged, the backslidden reclaimed the discouraged, encouraged, and most importantly and above all things, may Jesus Christ be uplifted, glorified, and honored. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I begin to pray what God would have me to say here tonight and thinking about this service. And, and I begin to think about this passage of Scripture. We, we, and as we have come to this point in this position, there's always some things that people do. They like to reflect on what happened, and then there's all kinds of uh, resolutions that people like to make concerning what they're going to do next year. And so the Apostle Paul here says something. I don't really think this was a New Year's service. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But God has given him something by inspiration that sort of fits what we need tonight. And, and there's a couple of things. Paul is encouraging, just by introduction, he's encouraging the Philippians to yield their life to Christ, to yield themselves to him on a daily basis. And uh, that, that their life is encouraged to be yielded to him. And they're, they're to seek the spiritual things, not the worldly. Now, put something here. I want to go to Matthew chapter 6 with you just a minute. Why don't you turn over there? Now, what, what, the best thing that I think to describe that is in Matthew chapter 6. 
Now, Matthew chapter 6, about the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, is the Sermon on the Mount. It is the first recorded message of our Lord during His earthly ministry. And about the middle of that, verses 19 through 21, Jesus makes this statement about what we ought to be reaching forth and, and what our lives ought to be yielded to in the mouth. Lay not for, up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now in our text and in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul has uh, he, he, he made reference to the fact that he's... He, He's laid aside everything that he may win Christ. And what he's trying to get us to do is to yield ourselves to God. And by the way, uh, Matthew chapter 6 tells me how I can know where I'm yielded or not. What's important to me? What's, what do I treasure? What, what do I put the most value on? Do I put value on things of this earth or do I put value on things in heaven that... Uh, serving the Lord and letting Jesus be first place in my life. And uh, what, what do I put value on? Well, that's a, a litmus test, so to speak, that I can test my life with. You can test yours. Where is your treasure? What is it that you treasure tonight? And what is it uh, that, that is the most important thing to you? As children of God, it ought to be most important to us that we serve the Lord. And it ought to be more important that I do that than anything else. I, I, I preach a lot of funerals, and I'm with a lot of people as they're dying, and I'm around a lot of that. And it's oftentimes I hear people make statements like this, I wish I'd have served the Lord better. I wish I'd have done more for the Lord. Well, all those are really good things, but one of these days I'm going to stand in front of Jesus and nothing else will matter except what I've done for Him. And so Paul is trying to encourage the Philippians, number one, uh, that they just yield themselves to Christ so that, uh, and I can tell that by where my treasure is at. Now, notice something else, and uh, verse number uh, 10 uh, gives us a great truth that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, here's a great truth that I may know him. If I'm going to yield myself to Christ, I've got to know him. And Paul says, you know, something I'm after is the power of the resurrection. You know, every day you and I, ought to, we ought to just marvel in the power of the resurrection. That the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life up on Calvary. No man took it from him. He was not a martyr. He was a sacrifice. Uh, he laid his life down for my sin and your sin. The only way that any of us can ever get to heaven is, is by faith in what Christ did for us. That is the gospel. The good news of Christ is that God the, uh, himself incarnate, died in my place, in your place, took our sin upon himself, paid for that on Calvary with his own blood, laid his life down. And by the way, it's not over. Then three days later, he picked it back up and resurrected out of the grave. What a great truth. The power of the resurrection. I mean, it was one great thing that he died on the cross and, and, and took our sin upon himself and he finished our salvation on, on the cross. But he solidified that three days later when he came forth out of the grave by his own power. And Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That power of the resurrection will encourage you and I. We've got a great God. I mean, if, if he can, uh, if, if the resurrection proves he can do anything. The resurrection proves his power and we ought to yield ourselves to him. And, and then he makes a funny statement. I understand the power of the resurrection, or at least I understand why I want to know that. And, and, and he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And then he says, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Paul says, not only do I want to know the power of the resurrection, he said, you know, there's something else I want to know too. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, Philippians chapter 3, that, that's an interesting thing to me there in verse 10. The power of the resurrection is one thing, but the fellowship of the sufferings? I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that I'd, that I'd like to be like Christ. <laughs> but I, I don't know that I would choose that. 
that I would choose to have this suffering like Christ did, the fellowship of his sufferings. And Paul says, now here, here it is. He, in this very getting started, he says, now listen, I want you to yield yourself to him. Let him be God in your life. I want you to be conformable unto his death. I want you to know the power of the resurrection and fellowship of the sufferings. Now then, there's not going to be any peace and joy in this life unless we do what he says then. And, and he makes this statement. And, and, and we've we seen in our text verse in verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Now, John did a couple things down years ago about that verse. It's odd. In Philippians 3.13 there, it's odd. This one thing that I do. Notice how that's phrased. And then he says two things. And, and, and I want you to notice that. I want to look at it. I'm going to break it down because that's where I'm going to spend time tonight. Forgetting and reaching. And he says, Brethren, this, uh, uh, brethren I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Now Paul said that's a single action. It's like two sides of one coin. He says, I, 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 I forget those things which are behind and I reach forth unto those things which are before. Now how do I accomplish that? How is it possible then I'm using that for the end of the year? How is it possible that I can come to the end of this year and I can put 2023 behind me? And how can I reach forth into 2024 and without... How can I forget all of that and reach that? Look at the next verse, verse 14. And he says, he starts verse 14, he says this, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, now here's how I accomplish that one thing. This is how I accomplish this one thing, this one thing of forgetting and reaching. He said, here's how I accomplish it. I press toward the mark. In other words, he says, I've got some goals. And I've got some things that I want to accomplish. And I've got my, my attention focused on those things. And I press toward the mark. Really, that's an athletic term. It's a great, great term where oftentimes the Apostle Paul, when he's uh, using things, he talks about some athletic terms. And this is one of those. It's, it's, like, it's like a runner that has the goal line in view and they're pressing toward that mark. And they're not distracted by anything in the audience. They're not distracted by anything on the side. They have their, their focus on the finish line toward the mark, and they're pressing toward the mark. So how is it that I can forget and reach? Forgetting and reaching. How can I do that? By pressing toward the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, having said that, what does that mean then? What, what, what does that mean? I've got to press toward that goal. I need to have a goal tonight uh, that I'm going to be Christ-like. I'll never accomplish that until I have a glorified body, but I, I still have a goal that I want to grow in grace, knowledge, and wisdom of our Lord. I ought to have a goal that I want to grow and, and, and get closer to Him, be more like Him. How am I going to do that? All right, number one, there's three things i got to forget. There's three things that if I'm going to press toward the mark this year, if I'm going to go forward in my life, if I'm not going to be bogged down, there's three things that I've got to forget. Number one, sin. Now I'm going to show you, I'm going to break this into two parts. Once you open your Bible... To 1 John chapter 1. One of the things that, if you're honest with yourself, you have to deal with your own sin. And we'll start with our own sin. One of the things that I have to do is I have to deal with Mike's sin. Mike's sin gives me more trouble than anybody else's sin. 
My sin causes me problems more than anybody else's sin causes me problems. My sin I must deal with. So there is a forgetting of that sin. Now you're in 1 John chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, now here's a great truth about sin. I have sinned tonight. I wish I didn't. In this last year, there's things that I look back on and I'm ashamed of it. Sin. Sin. What am I to do with that? What am I to do with that? You see, if you're not careful, Satan will jump on your shoulder and say, well, you might as well throw the towel in and quit. I mean, you're going to find yourself, if, you're going to find that you, uh, you probably fight the same sin all the time. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul says, the things I hate, that's what I do, and what I want to do, I don't do. In Romans chapter 7, I find that's the same sin. I, I struggle with the same things in my life every, every day. I hate it. I, the older I get, the more I understand Romans chapter 7, verses 13 through the end of the chapter. The more I understand what the Apostle Paul was talking about, that battle, that fight that we're in every day. I hate my own struggle and my sin. I hate it. But what do I do with that? Do I let it discourage me? Do I let it cause me to quit? Do I let it cause me to come to a place to where that I say, well, then what's the use in trying? I, I, can't, I can't live it. Well, the truth of the matter is, in this text, he deals with that. And he says, first of all, if you say you have no sin, the truth's not in you. In other words, anyone that says, well, you know what? I've, I have eradicated the sin out of my life, and I don't have any sin. They're liars. Because they're still sinners. They just committed one that made that statement. Great truth in that. And, 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 and so... You say, well, that, that's pretty discouraging. No, that's the truth. And God says, now here's how I deal with your sin. You notice in verse number 7, it says, well, if we walk in the light, you see us in light, we have fellowship with one another, and watch this, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now, what is it that removes my sin tonight? Well, it's not my good works. It's not my abilities. It is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I mean, what got me into heaven is the blood of Christ. And, and that, that's what my salvation is based on. It's based on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I'll guarantee it's what it's based on. It's based on the blood. And, and, and so, after salvation, after salvation, then on a daily basis, it is the blood that still cleanses my sin. It's not me. It's not you. It's the blood that gave you entrance into heaven. It is the blood that keeps you pure. Now then, notice verse 9. We often quote verse 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now God says to me, He says, Hey, Mike, I love you. Hey, son, I love you. You're not perfect, but I love you. And if you just confess to me your sin, you know what I'll do? I'll forgive you. Not only will I forgive you, I'll cleanse you. There's great, great truth in that. How do I deal with my sin? How do you deal with your sin on a daily basis? How do I deal with the year in, in, in the rearview mirror? How do I deal with it? Well, number one, I need to confess to God and be honest with God my sin. God already knows it anyhow. I, I, I'm not confessing to God something He doesn't know. God knows all about it. God knows more about it than I know. But I confess it to God and ask God to forgive me. And then God forgives me. And not only does He forgive me, He cleanses me. Now there's two things with that that's important. It is important that we trust it. It is important that I trust that Jesus cleansed me with His blood he has forgiven me as he says he did. And here's the kicker, then I've got to forgive myself and move forward. It's not saying I can't learn from it. not saying I won't have some consequences for it. But it is saying that I can't let it control my attitude and my actions and I cannot get discouraged and downcast because of my sin. 
By the way, that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to confess it and let him cleanse it and forgive it and then just let it be in the past. I deal with people all the time that they keep bringing up the same thing over and over and over and over. They keep bringing up the same thing. Well, I did this and this, whatever it may be. And the truth of the matter is, what God wants you and I, it seems like I just lost everything. It says I'm on. Yeah, I'm on now. All right. And when you're trying to deal with someone, now that now I've got power, I must not have had before. Um, when you're trying to deal, sometimes people, they, they keep worried about the sin. And they keep worrying about what they've done. And listen, God's forgiven it. And if God's forgiven it, then I ought to let God, trust God in that and let it go. But there's one more thing with sin. Open your Bible back to Matthew chapter 6. And then we've got one out of Matthew chapter 6 already. We're going to get another one after this one. You might want to mark that we'll be back here. But I've got to do something else with sin. I've got to, I've got to trust God to forgive my sin, cleanse me and of my sin. I've got to trust that and forget it. But I've also got to deal with the sins of others. Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. And oftentimes we call this the Lord's Prayer. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For that is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if we forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I, I, I want you to notice in verse number 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. One of the things that I must do is forgive those that have sinned against me. Uh, and, and by the way, there's two things going to happen in life, whether we like it or not. Living in life, these two things are going to happen. I am going to sin against others from time to time the best I can do. And they are going to sin against me. It's an impossibility for you to live in life without those two things happening. You're, you're, you're going to find that there's things that happens and, and, and we're going to find that we've sinned and we've been sinned against. Now, how do we deal with that? What's well, forgiveness? How do we deal with that? And God says, Here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to forgive others as I forgive you. One, one of the hardest things sometimes that we do is we get bitter and angry at people that sin against us. We, 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 get, we, we get to a, a point where there's this bitterness and this anger and, and we will not let that go. And that's one of the things I need to forget is that the things that have been done to me this last year that, that hurt my feelings, hurt my pride, made me mad. Uh, Y'all don't never have none of that stuff happen to you, but I do. And, and you know what I got to do with those things? I got to forgive it and let it go. I got to let God take care of it. I learned a long, long time ago just to let God have it. And the quicker that I do that, the better off I am. No matter what the hurt, no matter what the sin, the quicker I give that to God, the better off I am. Now, there's truth in that. And so we find here that I've got to forget sin. I've got to forget my own sin that's been cleansed and forgiven. And I've got to forgive and then forget the sins of others. There's great truth in that. Number two, not only do I forget sin, I've got to forget sorrow. You say, isn't that one and the same? No, no. Once you open your Bibles to Proverbs, the 15th proverb, and I want you to see something here. You see, sometimes there's things that happens in all of our lives that bring sorrow. There's death, disease, disappointment, defeat. It's not necessarily, in, in a lot of those things, it's nothing that someone has done anything to you. It's just life didn't work out the way you thought it would. And you had things planned and you thought you had it going in the right direction and it just didn't happen the way you thought it would. And, and things become difficult and things become hard and, and, and it, there's sorrow in it. 
And by the way, that happens to all of us. I, I mean, we, we all have times of heartache and sorrow in our lives. And we've had them this last year. It's one of those things I'm going to have to put in a rearview mirror and leave it there. Now, if you're in Proverbs 15, but now the 15th proverb, I want you to look in verse 13. And what's the balance in verse 13 of Proverbs 15, 13? A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. He says, now listen, if you've got a merry heart, you'll have a cheerful countenance. It'll show on your face. You can't help it. It's a countenance. And people will be able to see that you, you, you just enjoy life and you just, it's in your countenance. But he says, now listen, if you've got a, if you're always just got the sorrow there, I tell you what's going to do. It's going to break your spirit. It's going to cause you to get to where you don't care about anything. And I deal with folks all the time that they got a, they, 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 and sometimes legitimately so, they got hard things in life. I know that. I'm not saying it's not. But I've got a choice about hard things in life, and I've lived long enough to have had some hard things. I've lived long enough to have, to have had some things that if God had said to me, hey, Mike, would you like for this to happen? I'd say, no, sir. <laughs> I really don't want that to happen to anybody, Lord. But I couldn't stop that. And, and, and I have learned that when those things happen, I've got two choices with that. I can either begin to feel sorry for myself and get myself down to where that, I, I just, why is this happening to me? And poor me, and look what's going on to me, and why me? And if I do that, it's a sorrow of the heart. You want to do it? Break my spirit. That's what the Bible says. So I have to have a choice with that. I have to have a choice that I choose to be a part of what I call the Merry Heart Club. And I just choose to trust God for it and let God handle it and just have a good time no matter in the middle of the heartache. Now, you're in the 15th proverb. Look in the 17th proverb in the 22nd verse. Now, I want you to notice. Now, we've seen that a merry heart is going to shorten your countenance. It's going to kill the spirit. But notice how he phrases it here. A merry heart doth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Now he says, now a merry heart does good like a medicine. Every once in a while, one of the best things you can do is just laugh. It's one of the best things you can do. I know uh, a few days ago I was talking to a, to a young preacher, and I've been doing this long enough now that I have some of these young guys call me, and, and, and he was asking some questions, had some hard things going to. Now listen, it's a hard thing to go to somebody's house where somebody just died. That's a hard thing. There's a lot of things I'd rather do. Don't take that the wrong way. I, I feel out of place. And, and un, how do you handle that? How do you, you I can't solve it. I can't bring it back. A lot of things I'd rather do sometimes in some of the situations, but I've learned this. God's put us there. Some of the times what needs to happen is just a merry heart. I was in one such thing the other day. One of our church members went home to be with the Lord. And I'm sitting there with the family. We've been there for a little while. And one of the family members said something. One of the boys did. And there were some boys about my age, and their daddy, had, he's now in, in, in the presence of Almighty God. And we're sitting there in the living room, and I've known this man for a long time, since I was a little kid, and, and, and these boys were there, and one of them said something, and it, it struck me, and I said something about it and made him start thinking about something. They started laughing about something their daddy did, and they started laughing about some other things, and we talked about some things a few minutes, and one of them looked over at me, and he said, I needed that. You see, a merry heart doth good like a medicine. Now, I, I wasn't, it wasn't taken away from anything of the sorrow that their daddy had just left this world. But he said, I needed that. And then, then they started telling other things. And I listened to these men. It was all the boys there and the grandsons. And I listened to some things. I laughed with them. Now, it didn't take away while we were there but it helped them. And every once in a while, what you're going to have to do is forget your sorrow. You're going to have some sorrow. You're going to have some things that happens to you that you don't like and you can't change. And in the midst of that, understand that a merry heart doth good like a medicine. It does do good like a medicine. It, is, it, it, it helps you. It encourages you. And that's one of the things that God has, has shown me down through the years and 
doing what that, that God's called me to do. I'm often in a position of folks that are going through hard things. And if I'm there very long at all, I try to get them to laugh a little bit. Not that what we're there for is not belittling that nor taking away from it. But a merry heart doth good like a medicine. And so there's one of the things that I must do. I must forget my sin and the sin of others against me. And I must forget the sorrow and let a merry heart do good like a medicine. Number three, notice something else I got to forget. Go back to our text in Philippians chapter 3, and I want to go up a few verses of verse number 4 and read back through verse number 7. I want to get this third thing. I've got to forget my sin, the sin of others. I've got to forget the sorrows and join the Merry Heart Club. I've got to do something else too. I want you to notice in verse number 4 of Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath wherever he might trust in the flesh, I am more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews is touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Now I want you to notice the, the Apostle Paul in, in, in verses 4 through 6, he says, I will stack my pedigree against yours. Any day of the week. He says, any of you think that you have a reason to lift yourself up, I'll, I'll match it. You just put it on the table and I'll put mine here. And, and he says, but you know something I learned about all that success? He said, it didn't bring me peace. It didn't bring, bring me happiness. And you know what I did with the success? He said, I, I counted it all loss for Christ. One of the things that I find we're bad to do is we live in the past with our success. Now sin, living in the past with sin will destroy you and living in the past with sorrow will destroy you. You have to forget that. But oftentimes we have to forget our success. We're real bad about that spiritually. I remember when I first got saved. I've been saved a long time now. I've been saved 46 years, so I've been saved a while. But I remember when I first got saved, I would hear these, these older people in church, and they would say statements like this. Well, 50 years ago, we had this great revival. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, as a 13-year-old kid, I'm thinking, why can't we have that today? And I like to hear about it. Man, I like to hear those testimonies and what God did. But I found out then that that's where they lived. They hadn't had anything in the last 50 years. We're talking about 100 years now almost from where I was talking about. And you know what? Sometimes we get so caught up in our success, our blessings, that we forget we've got to live today. And we don't enjoy where God's got us now because we're so looking back at the success that we had that it clouds where we're at now. We, we, we look back on it and that's all we think about is the success. You know what I've got to do about that? I've got to put it in the rearview mirror. Whatever God has allowed me to accomplish, just thank God for it. I've got to forget the sin. I've got to forget the sorrow. But I've got to forget the success also. If I don't do that, I'm going to get stuck. I can get stuck in sin, I can get stuck in sorrow, and I can get stuck in success. And I must leave that back here. And if I'm going to do anything in 2024, then I have got to make a conscious decision to forget those things. Now, I need to learn from them, but I've got to leave them back there. Now then, so I've got to, I've got to forget those things. Now there's some things I've got to reach forth. You see, it's one action. Forgetting those things which are behind. Reaching forth into those things which are before. So what do I reach forth for? Number one, salvation. You say, oh, preacher, I'm saved. Okay, fine. I want you to go to John chapter, the gospel of John chapter 3. I want to show you something. John chapter 3. Now, if I'm going to forget all of those things, 
And I'm going to reach forth. I've got to reach forth for salvation. And what does that mean? I, I've got to have this goal. I, I, if I'm going to forget the sin, the sorrow, and the success, then I've got to have something else out in front of me that I'm reaching forth to. I've got to have my mind focused on a mark. I've got to have it focused on something, and that's salvation. Now, I'm going to use uh, the, the last verse in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John for this. I want you to notice what it says. And it says this, He that believeth on his Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now, I've got to have, number one, I've got to be absolutely certain that I'm going to heaven. I've got to, I've, I've got to know that. I've got to know that, that I have my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that I have punched my ticket, so to speak, and I'm going to heaven. I've got to know that. It doesn't do any good for somebody else to tell me that. Uh, it, 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 that doesn't help me. It doesn't help you for somebody else to tell you that. But you have to know it yourself. So number one, if I'm going to reach forth, there's a mark. Number one, in salvation. I need to know that I know that I know that I'm saved. And by the way, you ought to know it that way. If you don't know that, you're in a miserable condition. Because, man... To think that you could die and go to hell is a horrible situation. You ought to know it. Now, but let me, let me extrapolate that and expand that a little bit. Not only do I need to know that I'm going to heaven, hey, I need to know that the people around me are. I need to know that, that, that Elizabeth's going to heaven. And one of the things when Elizabeth and I first started dating, one of the first things I want to know is when she got saved. It's important. It's important tonight that I know when my wife got saved. And, 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 and it's important to me that I, by the way, when I got saved, my parents wasn't saved. It's important to me to know that my daddy was saved, my mama was saved. It's important to me then to find out about my grandparents and to find out about my, my brother and to find out about, uh, then Elizabeth and I got married and had kids. You know, the most important thing to me, know my kids are going to heaven. I mean, there's a lot of things I might encourage them to do and a lot of things I do encourage them to do. But there has got to be something that this salvation ought to, ought, ought to pale everything else in comparison, that it is a mark that I have. I want to know that my friends are going to heaven and I want to know that the people around me are going to heaven. And, and it ought to be something that you have a mark, a goal, that you're going to see who is saved. Because I'm going to tell you the worst time to ever question that is after they've died. I mentioned a while ago, I'm, always, I'm at a lot of funerals and a lot of homes, and I am. And one of the hardest things that, that I face sometimes is, I remember, the, I remember the first time it happened, just like it happened, because it caught me so off guard as a young preacher. I was in my early 20s, and I didn't know how to handle it. And God helped me through it. But I remember the first time going to a house, walking up to a door, or someone had just been killed in an accident, a young person. And I walk up to the door and knock on the door, and the dad comes to the door. <coughs> I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And he hugs me and grabs me, and then he says, when he gets his composure, he looks at me and he calls the boy's name. He says, do you know whether he's in heaven or not? And it struck me. It struck me as sad. Here's a man who raised this boy to an adult. This kid was not a kid. He was married and had children of his own. And his daddy doesn't know whether he's going to heaven or not. It struck me. Very sad. Now thankfully, I knew this boy well. And I knew his testimony. And I told his daddy. I said, well, sure he's in heaven. Let me tell you when he got saved. Let me tell you where he was at. Let me tell you what happened. <coughs> Helped his dad. His dad looked at me and he said, come here. His mama's brokenhearted because she don't know that. Will you come and tell his mama? Let me tell you something some of you need to do. You need to forget some of these things that are behind. You need to forget some of this sin, this sorrow, and this success that's got you so wrapped up. That's all you think about. And you need to start making a goal of salvation. You want to find out, what if that was your children or your grandchild, your great-grandchild or your mother, your father, your family? Man, we ought to know. We ought to know. 
We ought to know. It ought to be more important to us than anything else. And ought to have a goal of finding out when and where and how people got saved that I know. You say, you're a preacher. It has zero to do with being a preacher. It has to do with being a child of God. And forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth and those things which are before. Number one, salvation. Number two, not only salvation, but I need to, I need to reach forth to service. Now open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Some of you know exactly where we're going with this in Romans chapter 12. Uh, now, not only do I, I need to reach forth unto salvation, I need to reach forth into service. Romans chapter 12 and, and verse 1 and 2, the great verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Now, I'm going to stop there just a minute. Every once in a while, I'm dealing with people, and we're talking about serving the Lord and a lot of things going on in the world. I, I read a couple of things a few days ago, some of our missionaries. One of our missionaries, we took up a special offering this morning in my Sunday school class, Brother Ben Bounds. He, um, uh, he works with some indigenous churches in the 1040 window. And uh, he, one of their pastors, they have 127 families in the village, and two weeks ago they were overrun by the Houthis. It's a very uh, militant group, and he killed a bunch of people in the, in the village just because they were Christians and ransacked and destroyed and burnt their houses and burned everything down. Now, now listen, you, you, you and I, we probably won't face none of that. You ain't going to face none of that. But you talk to people about serving a while, well, die for the Lord. You know, God, that may happen someday. Those folks had to make a decision where they were going to die or not. They had to make a decision where they were going to say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to deny that. Yes, I, I believe that. They have to... But I'm going to tell you, God's not really looking tonight for me to stand up and say I'll die for Him. He wants me to live for Him. You see what that verse says? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, except unto God, which is a reasonable service. He says, I want you to present yourself to Him, to God, as a reasonable service. One of the things I've got to have a goal in is to say, here, here, my Lord, what do you want to do with me? What do you want to do through me? Here I am. Now, I don't know what all that means. I, I have no idea what all that means. I, I, I have some idea what it meant last year, but I don't know what it means next year. There, there are some things that when I yield and say, here, my Lord, that God might say, okay, Mike, this is what I want you to do. You say, is it something you might not want to do? Maybe. But I've always found that if I surrender to it, I always enjoy whatever it is. And so the truth of the matter is what God's after tonight is for me to yield myself to Him and I ought to reach forth that, that I am going to yield to do whatever and whenever God wants me to. By the way, you have to yield that also. That's nothing to be doing being a preacher. It's doing being a Christian. Now watch verse 2. It's part of the same thing. And be not conformed to this world, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's not three different wills there. It's three adjectives about one will. I, I've got to yield myself to God to be not like the world, but like Christ. And then I can know what God wants me to do. So I, this one action, I've got to forget sin, sorrow, and success. And I've got to press toward the mark of salvation, knowing myself and those around me, and then just yielding myself to say, here, my Lord, what do you want me to do? I don't know what that means. There are some things I know it means. I know he wants me to be faithful to God's house. He wants me to read my Bible. He wants me to pray. He wants me to witness. But I don't know what else that means. I don't know what all that means. But the truth of the matter is, he just wants me to yield to him. All right, number three. Go back to Matthew 6. We've been in Matthew 6 quite a bit tonight, haven't we? And uh, Matthew 6, and I want to start in verse 31 through the end of the chapter. Now we'll get another one. You see, if I'm, going to, if I'm going to forget the things which are behind, the sin, sorrow, and success, and I'm going to press toward the mark of the prize, the high calling of God, and I'm going to reach forth to something, and I've got to have something that's salvation and service. And boy, here's a big one. I just got to trust God to meet my needs, supply. 
Notice, if you will, in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 6, Therefore, excuse me, therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all of these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient and day is the evil thereof. Well, there's a great truth in that. I mean, there's a great, great truth. Oftentimes I deal with people, and uh, this is December the 31st in 2023, and I'm, I'm already talking to people that's worried about what's going to take place uh, tomorrow morning. And listen, we may not make it to tomorrow. We've got enough problems today. Deal with today. And that's what he's talking about. And he's saying, I must trust God for my supply every day. I must. I must decide that I'm trusting God, that God is able to meet my needs, and that God's going to meet my needs, and that God is God loves me, and I'm going to trust God. I've got to reach forth to that. I've got to trust God. And the last one, I'm done. And I want you to notice this. Not only do I trust and, and do I press towards salvation, service, and supply, but here's an important thing. Go to Romans chapter 8 with me. You know, one of the things that I think is important for you and I to know is to know that we have security in Christ. I, I'm going to use an illustration I think you'll understand for this. One of, the, one of the things that helps children as they're maturing and growing is to know that they're secure in their home. To know that mom and dad's going to take care of them. Protect them. One of the things I always knew as a child is, is uh, my dad, my dad's going to take care of things. Oh, he took care of me a lot. <laughs> if I did the wrong thing, he'd take care of you. But that's not what I'm talking about. I just knew my dad's going to take care of it. I just knew that. I knew my mom and dad's going to take care of it. As I've gotten older, and as a parent, now a grandparent, I, I recognize sometimes it's outside of my control, and I can't take care of it. I'd like to think I could, but I can't. But I found something that just like I, as a child, I trusted that. I've got to trust that with God. Because God can take care of it. Whatever's going to happen to me, God can take care of it. You say... What's going to happen to you? I don't know. Sometimes it's hard for me to say these things. This morning I mentioned a few things that I had to learn to trust God with and have peace over. And Man, I can mention a whole lot of other things. I've lived long enough to... to, to and, and some of y'all could mention things as bad or worse. And one of the things you have to do is you have to learn that God is going to take care of you and He's got you and you are secure. So in Romans chapter 8, I want to begin reading in verse 28. It's one of these verses a lot of people quote a lot. And it says this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, them that called according to His purpose. Now, great verse of Scripture. By the way, that verse does not say that all things work together for good to everyone. It says to them that love God, who are the called according to His purpose. If somebody's not saved, what happens to them might not be for their good. Now, God could use it for that. If somebody's backslidden, it does not mean that what's happening to them is for their good. God could use it to get them right with Him. This is literally making reference to those that are trying to serve God. And whatever happens in the midst of that is all for our good. Verse 29. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Because of God's foreknowledge... God says, those that get saved, I want them to be like Jesus. So whatever happens is God molding me. Now watch verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, whom he call, uh, called, them he also justified, and them he justified, he glorified. I used to say when years ago, and I haven't said it in a while, but people would say to me, have you, have you got all those blessings? And what they're talking about is they really got some things out of whack. Uh, I, I just say, I got all those fides at one time. I got glorified and justified and got lifted up. I got them all at once. And by the way, so did you when you got saved. And there is eternal security here because of verse 31. Now look at verse 31. 
And, and verse 31 is a great verse, and it says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Great, great verse. One of the things that I must reach forward to is, is salvation, my own and others. I must reach forth not only to salvation, but to service. And I'm going to serve the Lord and to supply. I'm going to trust Him. But here's something i got to rest in. I just got to reach forth that God loves me. As unlovable and unworthy as I am, He loves me as a father loves a child. And He loves me. And if God be for me, who can be against me? You need to rest in that tonight. If you're saved, God loves you. Hey, he loves you. Isn't that a great truth? And if God be for you, who can be against you? What a great truth. I've got to forget some things, and I've got to reach for some things. And if I'll do that, it'll help me to be ready for 2024. If I don't forget some things, and I don't reach for some things, I'm going to be stuck back here. I know some people that are stuck back 10, 15, 20 years. They're stuck on some sin. They've never forgot it. Theirs or others. They're stuck on some sorrow. Something happened to them, brought them great pain. They're stuck on some success. It's all they talk about. i got to forget all of those and reach for it. Forgetting and reaching. And I do that by clearly having a goal of pressing toward the mark. To hear Jesus say, well done. Well done. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I appreciate you being here tonight. I'm trying to give you something that God dealt my heart about this week. Dealt my heart about forgetting and reaching. Forgetting and reaching. Invitations like this, or maybe somebody here tonight say, Preacher, I'm not even saved. If I died right now, I don't know that I go to heaven. Friend, hell's a real place. Jesus loves you. He died for you. I've tried to give the gospel tonight in different points in the sermon. But if you're not sure you're saved, oh, dear friend, please do not die and go to hell. Why don't you come to an old-fashioned altar? One of our personal workers will take a Bible. We'll answer your questions. You can know for a fact you're going to heaven. You're going to say, Preacher, I'm saved. I know I'm saved tonight. But boy, there's some things in my life I need to get right. You've got a burden you're bearing. Maybe there's something God's dealt with. These altars are open. Maybe whatever it is, maybe you've been saved. You've not been baptized since you've been saved. Or you ought to present yourself as a candidate for baptism. Maybe you want to join this church. We'll accept you by letter, by statement, or by baptism. Whatever it is tonight. Or whatever it is tonight, let us forget and reach. Father, please bless this invitation. May it glorify Christ. For it is in His name we pray. Once you stand on your feet and keep your heads bowed, please.